Welcome to Grandiose Grammar. I'm Aoife, a grammar enthusiast and a lecturer at Philips Universität Marburg. This week, I've got part one of an interview with my friend Anya, who is a teacher in Bavaria. This week, she introduces herself and tells us a little about her work before we start digging into topics like fun over fear and fluency over accuracy. And then we start really digging into the meaty topics of edutainment, learners as consumers, and what that might mean for independent thought and further education. Maybe you want to tell people who you are or what you do. Yeah, I'm a teacher for English and French. I studied in Vienna and didn't get a job there. So I came to Bavaria and did my referendariat for two years. And then I finally was, was offered a job in a gymnasium, which is a grammar school, high school. And I've been there for 15 years now, maybe, maybe 17, I'm not sure. So yeah, quite a while. What's your favorite part of your work? Teaching. It's the same when you've got a kid. It's passing on something you like, something you know, um, something you're good at, and, and getting other people enthusiastic. That's what I really like. And every day is different. So even though you might have the same class again, the same year, even if it's the same book, it's so different with each course. Even though it's a mix of, it's like an, it should be an average of, of people, but every course, every class is so different and lessons are different. That makes it exciting. So there's always a surprise every day. What are the good surprises? Especially with the younger kids. They surprise you, they come to your desk when you just want to get ready and Mrs. Gas, Mrs. Gas, uh, I drew a picture for you and, and then they're like, it's like so cute. You get a gift, like a, like a little present and that's, that's, that's always a nice surprise. What's your greatest challenge as an educator? Yeah, to motivate students. Sometimes it's not the so-called intrinsic motivation, so you need to yeah, think about how you can actually make them do, for example, grammar, which is not exciting itself. But if you put it in a context and involve the students so they think it's interesting, they, they want to talk about certain topics, especially if it's about talking about themselves, um, that motivates them. Then they forget about the, yeah, the structures behind it, They're more focused on on the content and they get yeah rather excited especially the younger ones it's quite easy if you just pick the right topic or if it's disguised as a game then they get really carried away and totally forget about that they're working on mechanics yeah so if you if you do for example like questions and you do the simple who am i game and they really want to find out who i am so i take on a like a different identity and they have to guess who I am and they get really excited and they keep asking questions and if that was like a gap fill they would be bored and if it's, if it's a game it's like, like a pattern drill they just ask questions and, and the others hear hundreds of questions and they don't even realize that it's, it's a grammar lesson they think oh that was a fun game that's still true I think at university I occasionally play games in in grammar lessons you have to i think you cannot underestimate the value the, the importance of, of games i mean there are these like learning with a laughter 
and you think, yeah, of course they, they we have grammar books with like jokes, cartoons from the 80s and, and they're not actually funny, but you, you can make up stuff you find so much on the internet. Sometimes you come across like a funny birthday card and then I keep it to, to show the kids because it just fits a certain grammar thing I want to teach and, and I take that as a little warm-up activity and to get them, yeah, to get their attention. And then playing games, just having fun, of course, helps when you when you want to learn. Being afraid is, is the opposite or um, yeah, too much pressure or yeah, just simply boring. That doesn't help, but having fun. Mm -hmm. I often have these like group games, whether it's like a memory or like a domino or like a board game. And it, it consumes quite a bit of time, but I think they keep a lot more from that lesson if they had fun than if I did twice the amount of sentences in, in, a, in a boring workbook. You've just raised a very interesting point and it's one that I often highlight in my classes where I say to students, in my class you don't have to be afraid. You can make as many mistakes as you need to until you've learned whatever the thing is and then eventually you won't make the mistake and you won't need to be afraid. One of the reasons we're often afraid of things is we haven't practiced enough. Mm -hmm. I notice, for example, a lot of students don't like to write. They haven't had so much practice that they feel really, really, really comfortable. So I think that's really important that you say m fun is much better than fear and to just practice and to have, mm -hmm. have a laugh. I actually say the same to especially the younger kids when, when they don't know me yet and I say, don't, don't worry about making mistakes. If it's part of the learning process, we have to make mistakes, then we can actually learn from those mistakes. Then we can talk about it and then we understand the rules or whatever we want to yeah, grasp much, much better. And if we don't, just accepting a rule and then, okay, that's it, and we're never going to be able to, to, to speak. And especially with speaking kids, um, especially the shy ones, yeah, quite, yeah, maybe afraid of, or, because with the, with the written text, they have time, they can think about word order and just make the sentence, they have just simply more time, and with speaking, they have to be a little bit more spontaneous, and you rather make mistakes, I would say, and I encourage them, and they just, just say what you want, it's more important that you're being understood, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I learned this, like, principle of, fluency above accuracy that if a kid says nothing it's useless you can't make any mistakes so it's better to just just talk and make mistakes instead of waiting and waiting and not saying anything and then maybe come up with one perfect sentence but then it might be too late in a real life situation so it's in my opinion better if, if, if a kid like first first year english they haven't learned so many things yet but they kind of come up with their own creations and, and sometimes it's, it's fine and sometimes it goes wrong, but it's, it's better than not saying anything. The primary goal of a language is to communicate your need or wish or desire or whatever to another person. And it doesn't matter whether you're accurate or not. All that matters is that the message comes across. You're being understood. That, that's, that's what I, 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 I tell them. I say you won't be judged if you are abroad most most of the time, especially if you're in like English-speaking countries, they're not perfect themselves with foreign languages. And 
that they will appreciate that you make the effort and most important is that you are understood. If, of course, there are mistakes that, that would lead to misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. So there are certain mistakes and I say that's something you have to be very careful about. Like when I teach the difference between marmalade and jam or jelly and I say that's really important because with food that's not funny if you get something wrong and, and they always laugh and we try some marmalades I don't know what it's actually like and, but in general I say if there's a slight mistake of course you, you will be understood and that's that's the most important thing so don't be afraid and it's the same in a classroom if if they are afraid of me or if they were afraid of me that would be a nightmare they wouldn't learn at all and What's your favorite part of teaching a language? You could because you teach two languages. So what's your favorite part of teaching a language and do you have different favorites depending on the language that you're teaching? Um to be perfectly honest, I prefer English because you can actually do so much more with with the kids. They they learn the language a lot faster. It it comes more naturally because the languages are a lot closer, German and English. With French, you have five times the amount of grammar. It's rather boring, and even after four years, they can hardly just say what they think and have a discussion. It's very, very, yeah, difficult. With English, you can read stories in year one. You can do role play. So, yeah, you can actually do a lot more, and I quite enjoy that. If, if the kids are active and I let them do little projects, whether it's videos. So that's what I enjoy rather than yeah, grammar lessons. What challenges do you think we're currently facing in education, not just in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, but just changes in society and the way that we view learning? I think knowledge becomes less less important because you can look up anything all the time and that's why we don't remember things anymore. We have like a outsourced encyclopedia on our smartphone and we don't need to remember formulas or even voc vocabulary so that's that's not the focus anymore it's more about um, this lifelong learning it's about skills how you can actually later on teach yourself how to do certain things so it's, it's more about yeah methods and, and, and skills do you think there's still a place for rote learning so just learning something off by heart for the sake of knowing it um you mean like little poems or um one of the ones that i frequently talk about at university is just go away and learn all of the irregular verbs it's a list learn it you can access it any time that you want to or learn the irregular spelling rules I mean, of course you can play games and, and do so many exercises and just by repeating but finally they have to sit down at home you have to learn learn them by heart currently it's not a popular thing to do to say oh just go away and learn something for the sake of knowing it off by heart i think it's really useful and especially with grammar where students later will need to know there is a tendency towards insert item here it's better if you know what the tendency is and you can just access it without actually thinking about it you can just go oh if i'm talking about x then i need to do y mm -hmm. 
And I see a lot of value in that. And I think that a lot of young people don't see a lot of value in it. Sort of the perpetual struggle. Yeah, I think the motivation just to learn is decreasing. I think that if we don't continue to learn or if people don't have an interest in learning, we're doomed. Yeah, so true. But what can, what can you do about it? They're basically, well, young people are consumers. They're being presented with everything. They just need to, it's just, it's just one click. Everything is one click away. The detention span is getting shorter and shorter. Even with students, I say it's like seven seconds and then they want something new. So if you have a text, you need very short paragraphs. The text itself needs to be short. You need um, headlines in between just to, to break up a long text. They can't just read but one A4 page text. That does us far too long. So even with adults, young adults, it's, it's difficult for them to concentrate. So um, yeah, they find learning more difficult, I would say, than decades ago. So I think the, the whole media consumption has changed. It's a worrying development though, because then you end up teaching to the lowest common denominator, which I massively object to. Yeah, but teaching has become more and more entertainment. Of course, we don't, don't want to go back to times where you would just have your Latin book and you would day in, day out, just translate page after page. That's not what um, language lessons should be like. Of course, it should be about um, different methods, different social forms, different activities, and of course, media. But to some extent, it has become yeah, pure entertainment. And especially with, with um, after this like home homeschooling, I try to motivate my kids and they were very, very yeah, demotivated because school was so so boring. They couldn't run around, they couldn't have contact with each other, they couldn't even chat in the classroom because they were so far away. So they were just sat there like robots, just waiting until the day was over. And that was even more challenging to, to motivate them because we had a lot of stuff to do after all the time at home. And I noticed that I would use even more videos and songs and, and just use media just to get their attention. And maybe that's, that's not the right way to give them even more what they do at home anyway. What do you think could be a solution for that? It's difficult to say. Where would you start? I mean, we only start with, with the kids when they're 10. So they are formed, their habits are formed already and it's all of society you have to change something do you think that maybe the pendulum will swing the other way because we often see this in social trends and also in teaching trends where something is the thing to do for a decade or whatever and then suddenly all of these studies happen and then people realize oh my god that was the worst idea ever we've actually been doing something that's academically a really poor idea and then they switch back to some method that had been used previously or, or they the tweak opposite. I think that's about um, these extreme theories that for example in language acquisition there, there were times when you would just learn rules 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 only and then there were times where you would just learn example sample sentences just learn sentences by heart and no rules at all and I think 
is like with diets, it's just one extreme is not good and, and the opposite is not better either. So I think it's a mix and with a lot of things, I would say we live in a time of a good mix, mm -hmm. not only concerning language acquisition, but in general, like a good mix is the best you can do. And bearing in mind that um, pupils, they're different lear learning types that you have to offer everything. I do offer rules, you say tendencies, I, I just call it rules, um, because some need this cognitive approach, mm -hmm. while for others, it doesn't, it doesn't help them, they just need loads and loads of examples, they just need to hear it often enough until they finally like start to copy it and, and create their own sentences in, in, in the same pattern. So I think you have to offer different mm -hmm. approaches to pick up on what you said just a second ago, you said, I say tendencies and in school you say rules. I think that it's it's OK to have rules at school or rules for young learners because they need that and they need to be guided and they need to f have this feeling of certainty. So even if the rule or the tendency is only true in 85 percent of cases, it's often enough that they'll they'll mostly be right and then they'll occasionally be wrong. My thing with that is that I believe that at university rule is is dangerous because it completely removes the need to think. And at university, I think that students are at a point where they should be able to start thinking independently or at least question whatever it is I'm handing to them and not necessarily believe that I'm the expert. You think most students are capable of questioning and thinking for themselves? And I think a lot of students and maybe this is a throwback to what you're saying about this consumer society is that they just take whatever it is you give them as a given and then don't question it. But I think a lot of them are capable of the thought process that you need to propel your learning further or to question whatever it is that I'm handing you and I'm telling you, oh, as a grammarian, there is no such thing as future time. And all of your school books say, oh, there's a future tense. Um, so I think that they're smart enough and old enough to be able to think, oh, why is that? Why, why do school books view it as a tense and why do you say that it's a semantic category? Occasionally I get really interesting questions about it or it turns into a fun debate or whatever. Not as often as I'd like it to. But as a positive outlook when you say they, they do think about it, they, they question things and decide for themselves. I think it would be nice if more of that were encouraged in high school, this sort of independent thought and not always just accepting what the teacher says as the gospel. But I think the perceived pressure that stu students and or pupils feel that they're under doesn't leave a lot of space for that. But that's something I've noticed. Um, the wish to discuss has become less and less in, in classrooms. They don't really want to discuss a topic as such. They maybe participate in a discussion, in a debate, and just ex exchange a few arguments just to do that, to do the job. That's what the teacher expects. Maybe we collect some arguments so we can keep them for for later. But they're not truly personally involved. They they, they don't have a position very often. Yeah, of course there are students who are involved and passionate about it. But in general, it's just like, 
okay, this is an exercise, we have a debate, we exchange some arguments, is the exercise over now? And then they just leave the classroom. Um, do we need to learn that for a test? And, and this is this attitude you notice more and more that are not, especially if it's topics like politics and, and you say, come on, you are personally involved. You are affected by these, whether it's the environment or other changes. Yeah, well, and then they just maybe reel off some some facts they've heard in, in biology lessons or whatever, but it, it's not a real discussion. They're not passionate about it. And that's what I notice. I notice that at university too, quite often in, in writing classes, if they have to write an argument for something, quite often you're just getting a summary of what a YouTuber has said about insert item here. And that's quite disheartening. Do you think that's related to this idea of sort of a consumer society and if it's not exam relevant, then why would I bother? That's, that's what I just thought. You can transfer this um, to questioning the teacher. I hardly ever, I can't recall incidents where, where a student contradicted or, or challenged me. Where they said, hang on, isn't it like they just say, okay, yeah, just, just tell me the solutions and whatever I did must be wrong then, fine. Do we need to learn that for, for, for the test? And they just, I don't know what it is. It's, it's a lack of interest. It's, it's kind of this, oh, we have to, this is, this is the syllabus. This is what we have to do. This is what we need to do to pass the test. And I'm actually not really interested as such. I don't want to deeply understand it. I don't want to question, yeah, why is it? I, I don't get it. They, they're totally passive. You could give them a phone book and say, okay, that's, that's your A-levels. You've got a year, year's time to, to learn that by heart. And, and they would eventually learn that by heart. Do you think that this generation is better at learning stuff off by heart if they think it's useful for an exam? Probably not. I, I would say, getting back to what we said at the beginning, um, they're not used to learning as much as maybe we or our parents had to. I remember my, my grandma, she could recite poems that would, would go on for five minutes, ballads, and, and even like 50, 60 years after she left school and she would still know them. And I don't think kids nowadays would, would know one single poem by heart. And I think. It, it's not that that's not a focus anymore to learn things by heart because you can look up any poem you can look up all the knowledge anytime it's available everywhere it's like having like an external drive next week Anya and I will be back with more topics like open book exams and how societal changes impact our classrooms and what that could mean for the future if you have a question you'd like me to answer, feel free to contact me via the contact form on grandiosegrammar.com or over on Twitter. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>